So I thought I'd talk a little bit about mysticism and experience with mysticism and what exactly is mysticism in the context of looking at all the different things you can do in life. Like, say you want to become a banker or say you want to become like an athlete or, you know, anything, an artist, a painter, an architect. I mean, there's skills you have to have for those jobs and you have to train and get better at those skills and maybe you have a natural aptitude for those skills. Um, But there's usually almost kind of two sides to those kinds of things. Like, you have a natural inclination towards it. And that comes first. And then second, you, there's like a technical aspect, you know. I mean, you, you can have all sorts of deep, intense feelings. You can, you know, look up at the stars at, at night and think, oh, infinity stretched out before me and just feel this, like, big open space. But that doesn't necessarily mean, like, you've gotten anywhere in the craft of poetry. I mean, you could have all these deep poetic feelings, and you could read other people's poems and really connect with them. But then when you write them yourself, they don't quite seem to be thought of by other people as as worthy as, you know, these famous poets you've read before. Um, Somebody speaking from experience here, but... um, So so I'm thinking of mysticism and, and meditation and what is the talent there, you know, or what is the technical aspect? And... You know, you could understand that, I guess, in different ways, in different traditions. I mean, obviously, you you get something like yoga, and there's all these postures, and there's practice, and there's learning this, and there's this. But I was thinking of it in a more kind of general sense. Say you have a natural aptitude, or you don't have a natural aptitude. But, but what is a special talent that, for instance, the Christian mystics had? Um, I've been researching a class that we're doing at Contemplative Light on the Christian mystics and thinking about, well, what's the talent that some of these mystics have? And one of the things I feel really strongly, and there's a few of them, actually the female mystics probably grab me this way, more than the male mystics do. And that's another um, helpful way to kind of talk about the talents of mysticism because, you know, you might think of these male mystics as doing these, you know, heroic acts of, you know, heroic postures or, you know, breathing um, meditations for hours, holding perfectly still as the Zen master whacks them. Um or, or in the Christian tradition, it'd be something like all those mortifications of, okay, I'm going to have this board and just have a bunch of sharp nails sticking out of it and sleep on it. And every night I'm going to wake up bleeding just in pain. And that's, you know, that's uh, the kind of male uh, heroic way of mysticism, I think, a lot. Not that that's the only kind of masculine 
energy involved in mysticism, but that's um, maybe the most stereotypical one where you're doing these almost kind of heroic, quasi-masochistic acts. Uh, but, but female mystics, and Ken Wilber, the integral theorist, said this very well, like, love until it hurts. And uh, that's, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but, you know, as I'm reading the Christian mystics, uh, I'm just thinking more general than that even, where it's just like the ability to embrace and accept and allow suffering. And it seems like some of the figures that rose to these lofty heights of sainthood and uh, were even able to uh, perform miracles or were graced with miracles, perhaps their intense suffering purified and opened up their soul enough that God's grace flowed in more freely and abundantly. I like that way of looking at it. But in thinking of the contemplative journey in mysticism, embrace the, the ability to embrace and accept suffering uh, seems to be what kicks off the journey it's usually some sort of awakening process and i'm generally talking about inner suffering the inner world what we today might call mental torment or psychological wounds even or even mental illness Uh, that's all very much inner pain and uh, everybody's going to have that to some degree Um, And there's always going to be parts of everybody's unconscious, I think, that perhaps they're not, they don't even have access to, or uh, things that are buried, feelings there they don't know they have until they have them, because how could you know you had it until you have have them, you know? How could you know you're, you're feeling one way until you can actually feel it, you know? It's kind of like the person that looks really mad and pissed off all the time. You know, and you're like, well, you seem really mad. And they're like, I'm not mad. You know, maybe they don't know they're mad. Maybe that's just the kind of normal state they live in. They're living anger rather than feeling anger. That's kind of the turn. You know, people live an emotion. And that emotion is the identity rather than feeling that emotion. And that switch often happens, I believe, in the uh, awakening process, or uh, to be more specific and more accurate, I think, maybe before the awakening process. That is, uh, if you look at a lot of people that have these awakening processes to um, God, to grace, to higher consciousness, to just a greater openness, to all of a sudden feeling like, oh, wow, eternity is here now. Uh, People that have experiences like that, uh, it's often a precursor is uh, pain and even becoming aware of that pain more specifically. Because you could have the pain and it could always be there, but if you're not aware of it, well, um, that's kind of a different thing. And you might even say that's when it, 
takes a form of something physical or is more prone to take a form of something physical. But the mystics, and especially I'm thinking of Therese of Lisseau, um, the little flower, she certainly had a way of just opening to that suffering and allowing that suffering to flow through her uh, in the way of a child. And incidentally, I, I think the first book I ever read about Therese of Lisseau was uh, I think it had the word spiritual childhood in it because it really is a spiritual childhood when you can just feel you know you, you just fully feel the feelings and then you lean into the feelings and in the Christian model you lean into the feelings um with the cross and with the way of the cross almost as a guiding light, almost as a personal guide, a shield, uh, armor. You know, you're, you're, you're going into your own suffering with the armor of Christ. And a lot of times you'll hear a lot of prayers and, and I, you know, I've heard different, all sorts of prayers about, you know, protect us, God, or, you know, um, cover me in prayer, all those things. That, but most, most of the time you hear those talked about in, in ways in which it, they're talking about the external world, you know. Uh, somebody's going on a long car drive, you're, you know, you're praying for their safety. You know, wear the, wear the armor of Christ. But this, this is, is going into the inner worlds, going into the depths of your own mind that you didn't know were there. And if you don't know they're there, then why would you want to go into them? And, uh, well, you might not. So I think that what ends up happening is sometimes... It, it's something that happens to us. It doesn't seem like something we're necessarily initiating. It's something that happens to us, maybe through hardships in life, and maybe even through grace. Maybe grace begins as pain many times, and it opens us up further that way. But I think the difficulty, and this is where it gets into the special talent of the mystics, is... Can you actually have the faith that that suffering and that inner suffering and that sensation of suffering is something that's going to lead you closer to God and closer to your true self? And can you actually embrace that? And what I found is I often want the ways in which I suffer to be entirely on my own terms. I want to prearrange how my suffering is going to be, or I even want to be able to choose the nature of my suffering. Well, I might could suffer through a heartache of a lost love, but I don't want, you know, to suffer through um, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Or, I mean, that's... Strange example, but it, it's kind of like that, or it, it, it's it's actually to be more more accurate. It's more like I would like all my externals to be taken care of, so then I can just suffer um, 
inwardly um, at my leisure, you know, um, in my own meditations, uh, as opposed to suffering in the process of trying to live in the world, uh, embracing the suffering. For instance, when I was trying to get my mic out to record this audio segment, uh, I realized that this one computer that I'm recording it on doesn't have enough outlets for USB cords, you know, so that it's like I'm always having to unplug something uh, else to plug in the microphone. And for a split second there, I wanted to really just throw the computer through the window. And I don't mean like in a funny kind of ha-ha sitcom way. Like, I mean, it really, it really got to me. And then my mind starts going to, in all this info age stuff, and all these screens, and all this like texting, and oh man, the phone's in the pocket, and then what if that rings, and oh my, but what about this? Oh God, I have three voicemails I haven't checked, and... Oh, I mean, this isn't the way I want to live. How did I even get here, you know, having to deal with all this stuff? And, you know, boom, you're right there. Um, and, and I was thinking, well, what would Therese of Lasso do in this situation? Um, I mean, besides run off and join the Carmelites. I mean, if she had to face the present situation, um, you know, and, and I think the answer would be, to basically uh, embrace all of these challenges and embrace the agitation and embrace the anxiety that comes up and embrace all the frustrations that so much of our world uh, brings upon us sometimes. Um, Sometimes in our control to do something about and sometimes not in our control. And most things are probably not in our control. Um, you know, there's, there's really no way out. Um, you know, you're going to have to kind of choose your, choose your cross somewhere, you know, cause, uh, the pain's going to come any way you turn if you're fully awake. Uh, now I guess the option that many people take and perhaps they even take this unconsciously would be to not feel completely what's happening and to simply react to it and to shut down and simply react so that the entire framework is the outer world and the inner world doesn't necessarily exist. So the inner world shuts down and whatever uh, emotions the inner self have those are simply played out in the world. You know, it's like you, you get people living out anxiety. That person is anxiety. That person is anger. You know, that person is mild agitation mixed with glee, you know. But maybe they don't even know it. You know, maybe they don't completely feel it. And then sometimes if they do feel it, it starts to become perhaps even um, a different kind of person than they thought they were before. 
which can bring on some, some confusion. But again, going back to the thesis of this, uh, what's, what's a special talent of the mystics? Uh, embracing suffering, inner and outer, I think, uh, which is uh, everything. You know, embrace the inner and the outer suffering and, and see the suffering as an opportunity to feel and experience the suffering fully is a way to get closer to God. And I don't really feel like that would go over too well with um, a whole lot of audiences, um, you know, as something that you recommend. Or, you, I guess, it sounds extremely hard. And it sounds almost counterproductive. Like, why would you embrace suffering when you can do something to make yourself feel better? And I suppose the, the idea, though, is to not necessarily create suffering. Um, as one of the mothers in the monastery said, life is penance enough. I, I really like that line. Life is penance enough. They didn't do mortification or anything of that sort because life was penance enough. And to be able to just stay open and to feel it fully and to be honest about what you feel and to be honest about what you think, um, even when it's not the right answer or the appropriate answer, even when maybe you don't even know exactly what it is. And to be able to do that even when it hurts. To be able to keep going and to stay open and to feel through things even when it hurts. And I think that's where faith comes in handy. And I think what enabled the great mystics and saints like Therese of Lasso to do this was their faith in God. Their faith in God basically gave them the courage to feel through all the horror of this world, love through all the horror of this world, because they saw beyond this world. And not only did they see beyond it, they wanted to get beyond it, and they wanted to move through it. And if they were covered in the pain and sin of this world, then they wanted to clean their system out so they could be completely married to God and to clean their system out before their union with God, well, the mechanism for that cleaning was suffering. As was the cross on Calvary, suffering. And to fully embrace that as a means to transcendence and not the suffering you want to have or the idea of it that you have in your mind or the idea that someone else told you to have or not have in your mind, but the actual suffering that's going on. Can you feel it now? Can you feel what you've been going through today? Yesterday? What you'll go through after this podcast? Take care, my friends.